Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We exist to be a community that seeks God and serves people. We're so glad that you've joined us today. And now, let's get back to the podcast. Amen. Thank you, Kayla. So, as we just heard, we read the last two verses of the Gospel of John. And this whole year... uh, stuck with me for another year. This whole year, we are going to be going through the Gospel of John. I was really debating whether we would go through the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John. They're like polar opposites in style and length, but John just felt right. And I feel like God has provided a way for us to go through this Gospel and to do so faithfully. So, Today, I'm going to be sharing my screen a lot because what I'm doing is an intro sermon. I'm not using a specific text to preach from. I'm going to give you an overview of what this gospel is about, what we do with it, and most importantly, how to read this book faithfully. Because it's tricky. The reality is we're dealing with a document that is just about 2,000 years old and a document that is highly contested about its value, about its meaning, and I'm hoping today that we can just kind of cover some of the basics here and get us all familiar with some of the landscape surrounding John's gospel. So without further ado, you're going to see a lot less of me and a lot more of this, of these slides. So the question is, how do we read the gospel of John faithfully? Reading a gospel well requires reading it as if you've never read it before. So when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, regardless of which one, you have to read it as if this is a brand new story to you. Because the moment we start to get into this place of, oh, I know it's coming around the corner. I know that Jesus may have died, but he will rise. If you come with that kind of mentality, you miss out on some of the key aspects that the gospel writers are trying to communicate. One of the biggest things that any of them are trying to do is communicate this element of surprise. When the gospel writers compiled their narratives, they wrote a story about this man named Jesus from Nazareth. And in this story, the events surrounding him, especially his death and resurrection, they were shocking because Jesus lived in the Jewish world, and in the Jewish world, they did not have a framework for understanding that God himself would come in the flesh. They didn't have a framework for understanding that not only would he die, but that he would be raised in the middle of history. This framework did not exist, so when we're reading the Gospels, we're reading something that is absolutely shocking. It is world-changing. It is kind of flip-your-script-upside-down type situation. So when we come to the Gospels, especially John, we have to read this in a fresh way. We can't just settle for, yeah, I think I know this story. We want to be surprised and we want to be transformed. So this year, one of my prayers is that by reading the Gospel of John, that we will be transformed, even if we've heard the stories before. So imagine that this is the first time you've encountered Jesus. Imagine that he is coming onto the script, he's coming onto the stage, and he's a character you've never seen before. Not only is he a new character, but 
he is a shocking and sometimes challenging character. But one of the things I want to focus on this morning is laying out some of the common misconceptions about John's gospel in particular. You see, there's so many things we could cover. For example, I'm not even going to go into the details of this, but Christ is not Jesus's last name. In other words, Jesus wasn't born to Joseph and Mary Christ. Christ is a title. It is really the Greek translation of the Hebrew word that means anointed one. And another term you might hear is Messiah. But these two terms are interchangeable. What it really means is king. The anointed one is the king. And the Gospel of John really wants to focus on that in particular. But, you know, there's other misconceptions like, you know, son of man being Jesus's humanity and son of God being Jesus's divinity. That's not a true statement either. You know, but I'm not going to spend time on that because when we go through the Gospel of John itself, I'll start to name some of those things and help us understand what it meant to the first readers and listeners. But what I really want to nail home are the questions surrounding the idea of Jesus's divinity. In other words, was Jesus God himself? Because when you come to John's gospel, it is written so differently in style. It is written so differently in terms of who John identifies Jesus to be. And I want to knock out some of the misconceptions about that and hopefully clear the water for us to read this gospel faithfully and maybe to learn something new. So without further ado, here are some misconceptions about John's gospel itself. So the first misconception, the first thing we might make a mistake saying is that John's gospel is primarily a proof for Jesus's divinity. Now, let me say this abundantly clearly before I go any further. I will affirm the Trinity all day long, and I believe that Jesus is divine. But what I don't want us to do is overcorrect and say that John's gospel is just this text that we use to prove non-believers wrong or skeptics wrong. It's not about that. The primary message of John's gospel is not, Jesus is God. And I've said this many times before, but I'm going to say it again. We need to change the order of that phrase. If we say Jesus is God, then we are, as 21st century Americans are coming to this scripture and saying, I understand who God is already, and I'm going to fit Jesus into that picture. That is not the right order of things. The better way to say this is, God is Jesus. Change the order of that around. Because then Jesus becomes the ultimate revelation and the ultimate picture of who God is. It just makes so much more clarity of what the Gospels are after. So instead of saying Jesus is God, let's say instead that God is Jesus. That way we start to get a picture of like, wait, God isn't this distant, far off, cold boss, but instead he is this man from first century Judea who is compassionate, who gives himself. And strangely, that is who God is. So we learn along with the first readers and listeners of John's gospel 
that Jesus is mysteriously tied into the identity of the one God. So there's so much more I want to say about this, and thankfully we have a whole year to go through this. But the good news is here that if you don't quite understand what, how the Gospels portray Jesus as God, that's okay. It is mysterious. The first readers of John's Gospel, the first people who would have listened to it, they would have been shocked by what they read and by what they saw too. So if you're equally shocked, don't be surprised. Misconception number two, and you might hear this if you read a book, Come Easter, that's again trying to disprove the legitimacy of John's gospel or of anything about Jesus. But let me just say this. There's this string of thought in biblical studies that John has what is called a high Christology. Now, let me break this down a little bit for you. I'm giving you these terms, and if you want, I can send you this information later. I can send you the slideshow if you just want to go over it again. But Christology is the study of the Messiah. It's the study of what Israel's king would be. And a lot of scholars have said that John has what is called a high Christology. In other words, John views Jesus as divine, while Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a low Christology. And what low Christology means is some scholars say that Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't see Jesus as God. They only saw him as a wise rabbinic teacher. They only saw him as a prophet type of person, but no more than that. And I want to name that as a misconception. Because if we were going to go through the Gospel of Mark, there are just some absolutely shocking ways that Mark shows us who Jesus really is. So I just want to name that as a misconception that if we're going to say that John has a high Christology and Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't, I think that's the wrong approach to understanding these gospels. And again, this goes back to that first misconception. Jesus in all of the gospels, the, the goal is not to communicate just that he is divine Jesus set out to accomplish something. It's more about a mission than it is about a theological statement. So each gospel, to break it down, has its own priorities. They have their own angle as they describe this news, this, these events surrounding Jesus, especially his death and resurrection. But I would just say they all affirm Jesus's divinity. In other words, that he is the God of Israel in the flesh. He is the creator God in the flesh. And just to push this one step further, each gospel will seem a little bit different than the other. And for a long time, scholarship has said that is a significant problem. You can't rely on these for any historical credibility. And to that, I want to say hogwash. That's just not true. And the reason that is significantly untrue has everything to do with the fact that if you get an event that happens in downtown Cincinnati, and let's just say the Christmas tree in downtown near Fountain Square caught fire, and then you had all the local news stations come and report about it, 
are you going to read the same exact story every time? You are going to have five different speculations as to what caused the fire. You're going to have five slightly different reports as to how the fire was put out. In other words, everybody has a perspective. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are telling the same story, but they're telling it in their own style. They're telling it from their own eyesight. They're telling it from the perspective of their own eyewitnesses. There's a reason they might feel a little different. That doesn't mean they're no good historically. It actually means it's pretty, pretty normal. You know, if you're describing a significant event, you are going to, especially a super significant one like Jesus, of course you're going to have your own questions, your own aims, your own priorities. So let's not get into this trap of, well, if they each have their own, if they each have their own style and their own stories within it, how can you trust them? I would rather say, let's take them for what they are and then evaluate what their historical value is. Misconception number three, this is the last one. John focused on Jesus as God. Therefore, it is written far after the life of Jesus and lacks historical credibility. So, I, in fact, I'm just going to say this. I don't know any scholar that says John was written early. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, for that matter, they were all written after the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. That's just a fact. And here's another thing that we have to consider. In the ancient world, if you're going to compile something that significant, it's not going to be written the year after it happens. It's just not going to be. Because writing anything in the ancient world is extremely expensive. Like this costs you an arm and a leg. Like generally you might have to have somebody sponsor your writing project. The other thing is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they had eyewitnesses to the events of Jesus that they needed to talk to in order to compile the gospels. They didn't just write this on their own. They didn't just make up this stuff. They had to talk to people. They had to gather, Hey, you know, like, Bartimaeus, like what happened, son of Timaeus, what happened, you know, with Jesus? What, what happened that, you know, you've been healed? Tell me about that. They would have to go and approach people. They'd have to approach the leper. They would have to approach the blind man. They'd have to approach, you name them, the centurion. They can't just compile this out of nowhere. They weren't there for all of it. They had to talk to eyewitnesses. But that also being said, so that pushes us a little bit after the life of Jesus. How far after the life of Jesus were the Gospels written? And I just want to share this. I don't know that any Gospel is written before 60 AD. And to be honest with you, that's not controversial. Not at all. That, in fact, that's probably the earliest that any of the Gospels are written. I tend to believe that Mark was written first especially if you read the ending of Mark and the ending of John, you're going to see like one was written abruptly and one was well thought out. And I would say that John's is well thought out. He's had time to get this all compiled and written. So that being said, I just want to say this about John's gospel. It is probably the last gospel written that does not diminish what it does for history. 
it does not diminish its value or its credibility. In fact, I still hold it with extremely high esteem and it's worth your time. It's not just a fantasy. This is still history at work. So just because John does seem to emphasize Jesus's divinity does not mean that it lacks historical credibility. So we have a gospel that is definitely written later, probably the last, but it still beautifully describes the mysterious identity of Jesus. And not only this, I, this is a little bit off script, so I don't have a slide for this, but I want to share this. Another reason that John is often written off is because of the miracles and the signs and wonders that Jesus performs. And I just, I had to add something about that because if you're questioning this, please feel free to reach out to me, but I just want to add a little note that maybe will give you some further food for thought. The miracles and the signs and the wonders, especially in John's gospel, for a lot of historians say, wow, that could not have happened. And it becomes a question of ability. For example, what human being has the ability to take mud, spit in it, wipe it over a blind man's eyes, have him go wash it off, and when he comes back, he has his sight recovered? Most of us don't know a human in their own power who can do that. And it becomes a question of ability. But when you read the Gospels, it is almost never a question of ability. It is a question of authority. Do you have the authority to heal somebody, especially on the Sabbath? It's almost never a question of ability. Because here's part of the other reality. Other things from the ancient world show that signs and wonders were performed in the ancient world, not even by Christians. Like, it's not always a good thing either, but people saw incredible things all the time. And maybe that's a comment on our part of the world that we don't see those things. Maybe it's not something wrong with them. Maybe there's something wrong with our part of the world. So keep that in your back pocket. But it's not a question of ability, it's a question of authority. But I don't wanna dwell exclusively on the misconceptions. I wanna take this to the next step. I wanna ask the better question. So we've nailed some misconceptions. Hopefully that helps us read this gospel better, but where do we go from here? And I wanna just highlight the key themes of John's gospel. The key themes. So if you want to really know what's kind of fueling this gospel, here are the three things that I would say you would pay attention to. The temple is number one. In so many readings of the gospels, the temple is so easy to ignore. But I would say that part of the reason Jesus made so many people mad, made so many people upset, is not just because of his claims to be divine, but it's because he did what only the temple functioned to do. So, for example, forgiveness of sins. Yes, God forgives our sins, but you have to go back to this world for a moment and say, where do people go to give sacrifices? Where do people go to enact the forgiveness of sins. 
They didn't just go to a priest. They didn't just sit in their home and pray to God. They went to the temple. The temple was the lifeblood of these people. So you have to understand that when Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, you better believe that made some people really upset. Not only because it took forever to build and for it to be in its glory and its splendor, but because what Jesus is doing is saying, the temple is, I can do what the temple offers you. You don't need to go to the temple anymore. You don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. And in John 4, Jesus is even going to say, I'm going to have people worship in spirit and truth. That's a very, very dangerous thing to say. And it's almost certainly a reason that people wanted him dead. Next theme, though, is new creation. Again, this is a theme that's not specifically named, but it's one that's intensely important, especially when we get to the end of the gospel. Because, and I've preached on John 14 before, and we're going to go through it again. But one of the things that we have to transform a little bit is what the gospel is about. And if you want to go to the biggest picture sense of this gospel, it is about new creation. So if God is the creator and God is going to do something to fix the problem of sin, logic goes to show that he's not going to destroy the world and then take us somewhere else. But as the creator, he's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things new. And we need to just transform this message of the purpose of being a Christian is to go to heaven. That's not it. The purpose of being a Christian is to live in such a way that we are testifying to what God will do in the future. And that is to make all things new. That is a much stronger message. It's much more convincing. It's much more compelling and I urge you to just look for that theme throughout John's gospel because it's definitely there. But let me just say this last piece for our themes. Jesus as Israel's Messiah. I would say this is, again, another thing that's just not emphasized enough. Jesus primarily wasn't going around saying, look, I'm God. I can walk on water. Look, I'm God. I can make fish and multiply fish and bread and look at all this stuff I can do. He was more focused on the mission. And again, this is a really extremely important thing that we need to understand. Jesus was bringing the story of Israel to its goal. To be the Messiah of Israel is to say, Israel will complete its purpose. Its purpose is to be a light to the world. Its purpose is to reveal the goodness of God. And Jesus is the pinpoint. He is the man who is going to be on the throne and start to execute what Israel was always supposed to do. And if you really want to just make this as simple as possible, all you need to do is say this, Jesus is Israel gone right. Jesus is Israel gone right. Because if you read the Old Testament, Israel goes wrong left and right, just like us, <laughs> just like us. But Jesus is Israel in person. He is Israel as it was meant to be. 
and mysteriously somehow he is tied into the identity of the one God. Next thing to do to read the gospel faithfully is to name your assumptions about who God is. This is a bit of a practical step. And if you're a person that journals, I'd recommend maybe that you would try doing this. But just take a few moments, you know, after this and name what you assume about God. For example, growing up, I always understood God to be like bigger than the deep end of the pool. That was one of my big assumptions. And I thought the deep end was the biggest thing in the world. It was a little bit intimidating. I even thought sharks might live there. But I assumed that God was even bigger than the deep end of the pool. As I got a little bit older, I started to assume that God was distant. If he's so big, well, he can't be near us. I assumed all sorts of things about God. I assumed that he was more like Zeus than he was like Jesus, ready to strike down sinners at any given moment. So name your assumptions about who God is, because sometimes those things do creep back into our lives. Even when we come to Jesus, we still have to have this internal struggle to remind ourselves, to let the Spirit remind us of who God is. Because if you read that Zeus version of God into the Gospel of John, for example, what's going to happen? You are going to inevitably read Jesus as that kind of God, too. So that's why I want to beg you to just name some of your assumptions about God, the good things and the things that maybe need corrected. Name those things so we can come to the gospel fresh. And here's the last thing I want us to do. Over the course of this year, I have a goal. I want to invite you to do the same thing. I have a goal to handwrite the whole gospel of John. I'm talking pencil and paper, pen and paper. And let me explain why this matters. Don't type it because it's just not going to be the same. But what I want to ask you to do, if you can, and if you want to, I want you to handwrite the passage each week that we are going to study. Because here's the thing. We live in an age that is so distracting. We live in an age where slowing down is just not the modus operandi. It's not the MO. And I just want to encourage you in your devotional time, in your prayer time, wherever you can do this, handwrite the passage we're going to study. And I'm about to give you the passage for next week on this next slide. But one of the best experiences I ever had even though I kind of begrudgingly did it at first, the first true encounter with scripture that I thought was just incredible was when I had a professor in Bible college assign us writing the whole letter to the Romans by hand. It transformed my understanding of the letter because I had to be slow. I had to look at the text and I had to write it out and read it again. I was reading double because I had to read it and then write it and then read it again as I'm writing it. And when you do that, you get a sense for what it was like to write these words for the very first time. 
it's going to bring you that much closer to the scriptures. And I'm not going to give us any super long passages, but I just want to challenge you to do that. Because if you want to be close and tied deeply to the scriptures, just reading it, you can easily miss details. But when you handwrite it, you are forced to consider all the details of the passage, and maybe you'll see something you never saw before. And this will give you a chance to get that much closer to this incredible document that we call the Gospel of John. So my commission to you is just to get a notebook, get a pencil or a pen, and handwrite each passage each week. I'm not asking you to do it in one sitting. That would be incredible, and I would commend you for that. But what I do want to challenge you is just to write the simple verses we're going to study each week and have that. Just have that during your devotional time. So next week's scripture, John 1, 1 through 4, four verses. It won't take you but 10 minutes at the most. But this will be a good chance for you to be deeply tied and deeply close to the scriptures. Again, I don't know what else to say other than when I did this with Romans, which is really long, by the way, it transformed the way I understood that letter. Imagine what will happen if we meet Jesus for the first time again by just writing this out. Imagine what could happen to us if we were able to just sit, slow down, and handwrite out a whole gospel over this year. I think God could do some powerful, powerful things to transform us. So friends, I just want to say thank you for letting me kind of give you an overview of the gospel. I know that in many ways it's extremely informational, and most messages will not be like that. I will always provide as many details as I can, but this is just so we come to the gospel as fresh as possible, because in 2021, we want to get back to the basics. And starting in the gospels is a great way to do that. It's like meeting Jesus again and again and again. And I've never been disappointed when I come back to the Gospels. I don't think you will be either. If this is your first time reading it too, I mean, praise God. We all had a first time. Like, There's no shame if this is your first time reading the Gospel of John. In fact, I would be thrilled if I could have never read it and just be reading it for the first time right now. So there's zero shame in doing that. And the last thing I want to say is this. Whenever we can get back in person or even right now, this is the kind of series that you want to invite people to. It's not just going to be me preaching this year. Like there's going to be Sundays I'm not here, but regardless of who's preaching, like how can you go wrong with going through the gospel in the life of Jesus? People are transformed by that. Maybe even we will be, but I just want to encourage you, invite your neighbors, invite your friends, and think of it lastly like this. This is going to be like, if you can binge watch a TV show, you can binge watch going or binge read the Gospel of John. You can just do this episode by episode. Because what I'm going to do is I'm not going to preach one chapter per week. We're probably going to spend multiple weeks in each chapter. Because there's so much good content there 
I don't want us to miss it. So I just want to invite you this year to come back to the basics with me, to leave all your assumptions behind and to come to this with a fresh heart and a fresh mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth of who Jesus is. We thank you for the gospel and the way that you have spoken through time and through history. And you've decided that even a time like now is good for us to consider this story once more. I pray that we could look at this gospel. We could look at the things that Jesus did, both his healings, his words of truth, and even his challenges to those who were stuck, to those who were blind. God, I just pray that we could be the kind of people that live with the kind of compassion that Jesus lived with. And because you've given us your Holy Spirit, that we can live as the kind of people who live into that authority that you've given us. Help us live with both compassion and authority because we belong to you, Lord God. We pray all these things going forward into 2021 in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.